Amen. Thanks, Kent. I'm Forrest, one of the uh, campus pastors here. It's so good to be together and worship together, back together in community worship. What a gift. Does anyone recognize this picture? <laughs> what is it? The, the ring to rule them all. Thank you, Gabrielle. Well done. The ring to rule them all. One ring to rule them all. The ring of power from Lord of the Rings. Anyone else here a little bit of a Lord of the Rings kind of uh, geek like I am? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Yes. I, I like the books and the movies. And um, this ring, right, is, is one of the main characters in, in the whole saga. And this ring of power that everyone wants to somehow get a hold of. And if it get, get a hold of it, it actually gets a hold of you, right? This is the way. And the reason it's, it, it resonates with us, I think, so much is because this ring represents the way of our normal world. It's the way we see everything kind of happens around us, at least the default, right? That we think about who, who are the top 20 people people are following on Twitter with most, the most followers. It's, it's people who are rich and famous and powerful and brash and royal. Those are the people we vote for and buy their products and read about them. People with power and status. This is how our world operates, and maybe we have a little bit of cognitive dissonance because we think in the movie, sorry, spoiler alert, in a 15-year-old movie and a 50-year-old book or maybe 80-year-old book, um, that we think, oh, Frodo, you should, you know, throw it in, throw the ring in, get rid of it. But also a part of us feels like, oh, but maybe, I, maybe I'm like Boromir. Like I'm, I could use the ring, ring for good, right? I could take it and use that ring for good purposes because the stream is so strong around us that this power money, status, this is the way. So if I'm going to do good, I probably need to do it that way, right? Well, Jesus brings us a different way. Remember, Jesus changes everything. And he's going to show us something else today in Mark chapter 10. We're picking up in verse 32, and it says this. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve, his disciples, aside again and began to teach them, tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise again. In the book of Mark, there's a theme of the way, the way of Jesus, the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on the way, the road, the way. And on the way there, remember we had this, we had this happen earlier, a couple weeks ago, when Peter made his declaration of Jesus is the Messiah, right? The Messiah is this king, the one who's going to come back to Israel and set things right and kick out the Romans and restore this glorious kingdom to Israel like they talked about the days of old. This is the Messiah. And when Peter makes that declaration, remember what Jesus did? Automatically, he reframes it. Well, yes, Messiah, but not the way he thought. Actually, I'm a suffering Messiah. Remember we talked about Jesus doesn't just come as the winner, the superhero, but actually loses. And by losing, he wins. Well, this is now the third time he says the same thing, except this is the most clear and detailed version of it, where he tells them, guys, you're not getting it. You're not the, I'm not the kind of Messiah that you expected. I'm actually going to suffer, to be arrested and handed over and mocked and spit upon and then die in Jerusalem. This is what's coming, Jesus tells him. This is what I've come to do. 
I've come to win by losing, by laying my life down for you, for us, for all. This is Jesus' purpose and his call. And this, he's trying to get this through the disciples, but they just don't get it. And so from this passage, it goes on, uh, James and John, we know they don't get it because James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, hey, um, can you do me a favor? And Jesus is like, uh, what would you guys like? He says, uh, could, could we sit at your right and your left in glory? Because that's, that's the best seats, you know, the important spots, the places of power and status. James and John and all the rest of the disciples are still tracking on this power, status, the ring, following the ring. This is what they want. So they're, they're talking about that, and, and Jesus says, well, actually, uh, you guys don't really know what you're asking for. Can you, are you ready to suffer with me? And they say, oh, sure, yeah, anything. And Jesus says, well, you don't really understand, but those spots, those aren't up for grabs right now. Sorry. Well, the other, the other uh, 10 of the 12 closest followers of Jesus, they hear about this, and they're angry, right? They're angry, and they're angry not because James and John asked, they're angry because James and John asked first. Hey, I wanted that spot. I, I want dibs on that. Why did you get to ask first? They're all after the same thing. Everyone wants the power, the status, the prestige, sitting next to Jesus when he comes in his kingdom and reigns in Jerusalem and, and sits on that throne again. They want to be the spots where everyone says, look at them. Aren't they amazing? Well, Jesus sees them still not getting it, still chasing after the ring of power, and he changes everything. He steps in and clarifies the way of this kingdom. It is a kingdom, but it's different than what we expect, different than what the disciples thought, for sure. So he goes on in verse 42. We'll pick it up there. Jesus called them and said, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This king is different. His kingdom is different. See, Jesus, but Jesus knows. He understands the ways of, of the world. He understands the ring of power. He's seen it right, right, right in front of him. Caesar is called Lord. Right? Caesar is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord, and the early Christians said that as a, as a politically subversive statement. But they were saying Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. He's the one who, who is lifted up in a high. This, this ruler who's, who conquered and dominated this huge, huge area of land, this amazing empire, and ruled it with an iron fist to make sure it would stay his. Power wins, right? Jesus knew about this. He saw this, the way of the nations. We see it throughout history, and you don't have to be a history major to come up with some great examples, right? Think of Hitler and his, try, his quest for power and dominance and killing anybody who didn't fit into his category, what it meant to be really human, Jewish or gay, or person of color, or what, fill in the gaps. We see it not just in dictators back then, but dictators today. Think of all over the world and some of the uprisings against dictators. Some of, think of the, the North Korea military showing off their ballistic missiles. Power, status. Well, not just out there, though. right? We live in the most powerful country in the world, the most wealthy country in the world. 
country with the highest status in the world. Our, our politicians often across the board do anything to keep their power, dehumanize opponents, shade the truth, as long as we keep my power, get reelected. But not just out there even, the church too, right? Every time the church has linked up with power through its history, we've seen a mess of what happens as we see examples in the Crusades or the Inquisitions or in the doctrine of discovery that the church said, gave permission, said, oh yeah, t- take that land in God's name from those native people. They're not people, really. Or the church putting a stamp of approval on stealing human beings from Africa and enslaving them for more power and wealth and status here for those connected with that church-state combination that wasn't so healthy. Healthy. It happens today with Christian pastors, not just back then, but Christians today seeking the ring of power and using it for their own good or their own forwarding of that power. Just recently, a Christian pastor in, in the most famous and successful evangelical church in America, probably the last 30 years, had to be removed from his post because of his sexual harassment that came out over many years of abusing his power as being the leader of that church. This happens all over the place. This, this current of the way the Gentiles, the way the nations, the way that, that we see the rulers lording it over others, we see it in ourselves. You know, what job are we going to choose? When I was at school of mine studying engineering, we were, like I told you a few weeks ago, we lost a lot in sports, especially when I was there, and uh, in, in, until the very end. <laughs> Make me feel a little better. But we, uh, during pe- the, the, the fans would chant, that's all right, that's okay, you will work for us someday. Because we were just cocky engineers, right? Who are going to make all kinds of money and have all kinds of and have all kinds of power. This is how we do things. What kind of job are we going to choose? Is the power and status? This is the way of our world. And yet, Jesus says to us, "Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all." Well, we know this in our heads, maybe. I bet that's not too shocking for any of us who have been around many Christ, much Christian teaching. But the problem is, we don't actually do it. And when we're left to our own devices, we can't do it. But we have one who shows us, not only shows us, but also empowers us in this other way. This different kingdom, this upside-down kingdom way of this king, Jesus. We hear it again. But the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus leads the way in this way of downward mobility. The eternal Son of God emptied himself and became a human, took on flesh, and not just any flesh, he became a humble human and in an oppressed people group, a minority group, born to a single mom in an off-the-corner spot on the map. Then he humbled himself and became even further and became to death on a cross. This downward morbidity of Jesus is his way. Henry Nouwen was a, a professor, a, pre, a priest and professor at Ivy League school, super successful. He left it all, felt called by God to leave it all and go serve and live in a community of those with developmental delays and disabilities. He went and lived among those adults and God transformed his life. 
All his most rich writings happened in that time there. And he wrote this little book called In the Name of Jesus uh, about leadership in the way of Jesus. He says this, The way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility, in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility, ending on the cross. This might sound morbid or masochistic, but for those who have heard the voice of the first love of God and said yes to it, the downward-moving way of Jesus is the way to the joy and the peace of God, a joy and peace that is not of this world. This downward mobility of Jesus is a different kind of kingdom, an upside-down kingdom. He goes on to say, he's not talking about spineless leadership. Jesus was, nothing, it was anything but spineless. But it's leadership in which power is constantly abandoned in favor of love. Power is constantly abandoned in favor of love. This is Jesus' kind of leadership. The upside-down kingdom, downwardly mobile kind of leadership. I want to give you two pictures of that. Pope Francis may be the most powerful man in the world. 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. He's the leader of the Catholic Church. And on the Thursday of Holy Week, do you know what Pope Francis does every year since he became Pope? He washes feet. And not just any feet, not feet of bishops. He washes the feet of the least. He washes the feet of, of women. Washes the feet of refugees, of Muslims, of Buddhists. In this case, this last year, washed the feet of prison inmates. He washes their feet and kisses their feet. This is the way of Jesus, the servant leader. Dr. Mark Sardinia is a biology professor here. Amazing guy. Mike's not here, is he? Good. He would, he'd be mad at me for saying this. <laughs> 300. Oh, is he here? Oh, well, Mike, you'll have to, you know... Beat me up later. <laughs> Dr. Mike, 372 days ago, we prayed for him in this place after he had a brain aneurysm and we thought he was going to die. And by God's grace and praise God, he didn't die. And we're so thankful for that. Uh, all kinds of things, we rejoice about that. But one of the things that struck me in the, in the days and weeks after that happened was the way this community so loved Mike. So love, Dr. Mike. And, and there's lots of reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is because of who he is and his love that he pours out here. See, Dr. Mike could be doing a lot of things that get a lot more status and power. You all don't know, he has a PhD and a vet degree. Do you know both of those, how much school that takes? He could easily be making a lot of money doing pharmaceutical stuff, all kinds of things he could be doing, and a lot more status, a lot more power, but he chooses to love his wife, he chooses to love his Clydesdale horses they rescue and use for farming, and he chooses to love his students. And I saw that in, in the way the community was impacted by what happened a year ago. This is the way of Jesus. Van John, come on up. All right, so I have an idea for you. Some kind of crazy. I know this, there are some pr profound ways that all of us get to live into this servant leadership of Jesus, follow him in his way of service, but what if as just a, a, a little kind of a tester. What if we, as a community, in the next 24 hours, took a little challenge? The senseless service challenge. The next 24 hours, what if every person in this room just did some silly, ridiculous way to serve someone? And find out if it's true that when you are, are the last, you actually become first. 
that by losing our life, we actually find it, that the way of Jesus really happens. What if all over campus, the next 24 hours, people in Saga are getting hugs, or their plates are disappearing, the, the workers are getting notes saying thank you, the, someone's coffee is paid for in the coffee shop. What if someone's ice is scraped off their car when they show up in the morning? What happens, what would happen if all of us chose to do like a senseless act of service as a little test, a taster of this way of the life of serving in Jesus' way? That's my question and challenge and invitation for us together. Let's stand and sing to this God who's come to us in Jesus. So go from here knowing the God who came to us in Jesus, who came to us not to be served, but to serve. And go and serve in his name by the power of his spirit and see that we might find the life that is truly life in him. Go in peace.